Janet Yellen confirms it. Bitter cold weather, not good for the economy. You're in the right place, folks, because this is where the money is. Welcome to the show. I'm Matt Kopenheffer. This is David Hansen. David, I've just read that Mila Kunis and Ashton Kutcher have gotten engaged. I'm so out of touch that I didn't even realize that Ashton wasn't still married to Demi Moore. You thought Demi Moore was still with Bruce Willis. Yeah, well. You were still in like the 1992 dating scene. I, I, I'm reading, I'm too busy reading 10Ks. You're catching up on your people. I, I guess so. Yeah, so here's, here's the question. In that 70s show, Jackie and Kelso were together. Right. And now they're getting married in real life. If you could take a TV couple and, get, and have them get married in real life, who would it be? Laura Winslow and Stefan from Family Matters. Stefan? Not Urkel. I'm a fan of why, Urkel, why but not? Urkel's not going to end up you with Laura. you got to love Urkel. That's not going to happen. Why not? It's got to be Stefan. He's the cooler version. You don't believe in, the, in, in Laura's good heart, that she'll, that she'll realize one day how great Stefan's Stefan is. a good guy, too. What about you? What are you going with? I'm going to go with, uh, with Jerry Seinfeld and Elaine. Interesting. I like that. Together at the beginning and ending up together in your mind. All full circle. All full right. circle. Okay, first headline of the day. We're going to the Wall Street Journal. GDP cut to 2.4% from 3.2%. In the fourth quarter, David, we're continuing to see uh, the advanced readings of GDP be drastically revised, mm-hmm. this time, unfortunately, to the downside. Right. The most concerning thing to me from this is that PCE spending, personal consumption expenditures, was one of the areas that was revised back and revised back mm-hmm. considerably. Growth in PCE in the fourth quarter was at a better pace than it was in the third quarter, but not nearly as good as we saw in the advanced readings. So when we consider that the, the bitter, bitter cold weather that everybody's talking about, uh, really that, that was only part of the fourth quarter, the, the end of the fourth quarter. So maybe there's some truth. But were they calling that out as maybe the reason for the PCE as part of the weather? Is that, is that one of the reasons in your mind? Is that how you're rationalizing it? I, I haven't gotten into rationalization mode yet. I'm still in shell shock mode. This is horrible. So how many – we get – Three revisions to the GDP number? Yeah. So this is just the first? This is the second. Or the second. They call this the second. Okay. So the next time we could see, that'll be the one that we care most about, right? The final one that has the most data around it? I guess. Okay. Still can... Still so what, what, do you, what do you think? It's magically going to go way back up? <laughs> well, I don't know. Magically it goes way down. Uh, are we still seeing government spending being a drag? Is that kind of big what drag. we thought it big, was? Big, big drag. Right. That, the, those were all within, within the same kind of band. Actually, uh, fixed residential investment, so housing and that sort of thing, mm-hmm. was actually, it wasn't good in the fourth quarter, but it wasn't as bad as the advanced reading had suggested. Uh, overall, still moving in the right direction. Right. It, it's just, so 2.4% growth is, is it's not horrible, mm-hmm. but 3.2% is a lot more exciting. Right. Second headline. Second headline. Going over to Bloomberg talking about your favorite person, Janet Yellen. Janet Yellen says Fed to keep taper as it parses weather-weakened data. We just talked about the weather-weakened data. And whoever's doing the GDP numbers, they're not the only ones looking at it. The Fed Fed is looking at it and saying, hey, this is going to factor into our decision. It's not going to be the only factor, obviously. They consider inflation, unemployment, asset prices, etc. But this is an impact. Surprised? Do you do you now accept weather as an excuse? If Janet, your girl, does. it's it's not. I mean, here's the thing: is that it's not an excuse. It's it's a factor. It's That's a var- it's a variable. I mean, when you consider what's going to happen in the economic activity, 
you got to consider a whole wide range of variables. And when you have something like construct, when you're thinking about construction, when you're thinking about consumer traffic, when you're thinking about people going out and shopping for houses, that sort of thing, when it's five degrees outside, that's a variable that has real weight to it. But in terms of, of what the Fed's going to do, I mean, the, the question here, the, the question for, uh, for Yellen, who's looked at as, as very dovish, so, so meaning that she'll uh, err on the side of offering more accommodation, I, I don't think that she'd, that, that she'd overlook interest rate concerns mm-hmm. or inflation concerns. But she's looked at as more dovish. But, but what she's really thinking about here is, are, is, is the Fed going to continue to taper its, uh, its bond buying, its mortgage bond buying? And basically what she's saying is that, no, we don't have plans to do that right now because right. we think that... At the, the same that pace the, that they've been doing? Right. Okay. Here's a question for you. 12 Maybe. months from now, are we still going to be talking about the taper? Or will that, in your mind... This is kind of a reckless prediction, I know, I'm putting you on the spot. But do you think that's something that'll be moved past maybe we'll still be mentioning it occasionally but no you don't think so no it'll be gone we'll be moved moved down to something else cool just the way i like it is that that's cool i think it is that, that gets a thumbs up wouldn't you? you rather be talking about businesses rather than the taper yeah but the problem is is that when that when we're not talking about the taper anymore we'll be talking about something else that you're going to hate that you're going to decide this is dumb, this doesn't matter, which, to be fair, you're probably right about in the, in the big picture. But we, gotta, we have to address this stuff on this show because it's what's out there. It's what's on the top of everybody's mind. So even if it doesn't matter in the long term, we've got to say, hey, this is what it is, mm-hmm. and this is why it doesn't really matter. Good point. I, 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 what do you expect out of me? So wise. Third, third headline, well, don't go too far. And this is from Citigroup. This is a press release. Citigroup adjusts fourth quarter and full year 2013 financial results. You're about to get, you're going to give a bear case here. So why don't you go ahead and give the bear case so that I can refute you? So it's estimated $235 million coming out of earnings that they just reported Mm -hmm. a couple weeks ago because of a client in Mexico uh, was fraudulent, according to them. And they had a loan out and they're now saying, hey, we're not going to get that loan back, so we're going to have to take an impairment on that loan. And to me, this does not say that Citigroup's a stock you should not own because of this one instance, Mm -hmm. but I think this highlights the stuff that happens at Citigroup because it has its hands in so many different areas. It's all over the world doing loans, doing investment banking, doing trading. They're everywhere. And I just have a hard time believing you're rolling your head at me. You're rolling your eyes and your I tried just rolling my eyes. Rolling everything (laughs) at me. It didn't convey enough, so I I roll my whole head. I'm fine with big banks like Bank of America and J.P. Morgan doing investment banking in Asia, in South America, wherever they need to go. But when it comes to loans like this, I don't feel as comfortable with Citigroup being abroad. I guess you'd agree. Tell me the other case, then. The the other case is this. Oh, yeah, because fraud never happens in the U.S. Okay. (laughs) I'm not saying that, but I'm just saying they're so much more exposed to different types of fraud and different... Are they really... How so? Or do you not think so? I mean, I mean is, is the rule of law... Are you saying the rule of law is not strong in Mexico? <laughs> it's probably not as strong as it is here. Uh, I don't know that I'd say that. Maybe, maybe the oversight and standards aren't as high, but I don't, I don't think that there's that much more opportunity for, for people to c- commit fraud against Citigroup. I, I mean, maybe they have to do a little bit more oversight of them, by themselves, but I don't think you look at this right here and say, oh, yeah, Citigroup is in all of these emerging markets, and so 
well, they're going to be exposed to more fraud. I'm not and, saying and just that's, fraud. That's terrible. Well, also, when, when, they're, when they're lending out in, in these uh, particularly emerging markets, so a market like, like Mexico, mm-hmm. maybe where, where, you're saying, where you're saying the rule of law is not as strong okay. and there's more opportunity. <laughs> now fraud, you're like... They're, they're, okay. they're going to get better interest rates. They're going to get higher interest rates for that. And so that's going to compensate for some of the lack of rule of law. In theory. In, in, in theory. In theory. No, no, no. In actual, what do you mean in theory? They get, if, they get higher rates. Yes, but what if they're not enough to compensate if things do go poorly? Well, the, the, you same, say the same thing here. The same, I know, yeah, I know. the same thing holds in the U.S. You have to price everything right. So, I mean, maybe that, that's what it really boils down to, is that, you, you, A, you face fraud also here in the U.S., but also, even if you don't face, face massive fraud in the U.S., it's still about what, how you're pricing it versus what you're getting. And you, so, you so have confidence that they're doing that. Why, why don't you have confidence that they're doing that? Why do you have confidence that anybody else is doing that? So what it boils down to is not where Citigroup is, but how good they are at what they do. Yes. And you think they're not good at what they do. They haven't shown a particularly great ability to be good lenders. Okay. Well, that's, 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 a, different, that's a different story. Okay. And you think, who, who would you take over Citigroup, Who's, who are great lenders who you think price risk much better? U.S. Bancorp. All right, let's move on to the mailbag. <laughs> we have a mailbag and we have an email address. It's w- I, I keep saying we have a mailbag. We don't. We have an email address. It's WTMI at fool.com. We have a question for today. People can send us questions at that email address. The question is from Joe in Texas. Joe writes, I noticed that CCG, that's Campus Crest, Campus Crest Communities, right? CCG took a beating yesterday just a few days after you mentioned it. That's you, David. Do you think his long-term prospects are less promising now because of poor management or were they reduced because the company is still growing? Thanks. David Campus Crest came out and reported earnings yesterday, and there were some guidance issues. There were some developments in prop- a big property deal yep. that, that Campus Crest has uh, that disappointed investors. I actually think it disappointed analysts first, and yep. analysts downgraded it, and, and investors, the market, followed that. So in any case... Campus Crest stock down about 10% over the course of one day. Is this an opportunity to buy, or do, uh, do investors need to tread lightly here? Um, the thesis, the broader thesis of Campus Crest is still there. The business, kind of the long-term vision of where this business can go is definitely still there. There were some things that came out with the guidance and in the call that should probably be investigated more before you jump into the stock. I wouldn't, I, I don't own it. Uh, personally, and I don't think anyone should own it just because, oh, the thesis sounds good, I'll do that. Mm-hmm. Definitely some things to, to look in here. And when I was talking about the stock on Tuesday, I think, right, mm-hmm. I mentioned they have three properties, and one of those is uh, Copper Beach. Now, they don't own this brand entirely yet. They, in early 2013, they agreed to buy kind of a portion of it and buy it in increments because it's big acquisition. This sure. would roughly double the size of the company. So it was a very big acquisition. Here. Huge acquisition. Very big. Um, some things happened, and they amended kind of the agreement. They said, hey, we don't want these properties. But some thing, some things happened, and, and what you mean by that is that some of the properties within uh, Copper Beach haven't been performing as well as they hoped. Correct. So in February, they agreed to buy them, and then in, I think it was July, during that time period, some of the properties weren't performing well. So they came back to the table and said, hey, we actually don't want those, but can we still have these? And since then, the process has but been... Then, but then the rest of the deal, if, if uh, you were mentioning this to me earlier, even though they're kind of walling off, we like these good properties, yeah. the rest of the deal still says either 
by, what is it, August of yeah. this year? By August of this year, either we're going to buy everything, the, the good properties and the bad, or we're going to revert back to owning a portion of yeah. all of the properties. Slightly less than 50%. So if they don't exercise so doesn't that option, seem like a, it, don't you think that's kind of a weird arrangement? It is a strange arrangement. And I think that's where the uncertainty kind of of the analysts on the call. And the analysts, like you said, are, are the ones who are really dictating the stock right now. It's not a very widely followed company. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've talked about it, but not many people are looking at the stock. So what the analysts say is usually what are going to make investors act. Uh, and there's some doubts in terms of why did they do this acquisition and where is it going. I still th- think the acquisition makes sense if they can get everything operating right and okay. just decide to exercise the option before August, before it expires. Um, I think that company does make sense. And there's also one other thing that I'll throw in there. There's also this bad debt expense right. in there. It, it sounded like basically the company had rolled had rolled forward people into new lease agreements when those people weren't actually paying their rent right. before that, and so they they had to recognize a whole bunch of bad debt expense from that. Does that lower your your estimation of management? Not particularly. It raises a flag, but they said, hey, we've changed our policies, we've looked at this, and now we have the right structure in place to make sure this doesn't happen going forward. They said that multiple times. This was a one-time thing, and we're moving past it. So looking at the stock today, it was, it was that, it was guidance, it was the bad debt expense. And the actual guidance is, is lower for next year than, for, than, than they reported this year, right? Right. So putting all those things together, I still think it it makes sense, and I like the story there, but it just maybe needs some more digging to see where they're going to go with this decision to buy the whole thing. Arbitrary numbers time. If your bullishness was at a 70 out of 100 when you talked about this on Tuesday, where is it today? 65. Okay. So so pretty pretty much the same, very yeah. similar. Yeah. I All think, right. I mean, it's it's still very cheap. It's still a very cheap stock now, and you have to ask yourself, is the price today implying that nothing goes through and it's a really bad situation? I would say potentially. Uh, it's not a very, it's not high priced, and there's not a lot of expectations. Right, 11 and, a half, 11 and a half times forward, the, the, lowered, the low end of the lowered guidance. Right, assuming they don't even do this deal. If they do do the deal, their earnings will be higher, and the stock will look even cheaper. Okay, well, let's move on to the game for today. We've got a little bit of a bull bear showdown for today. The showdown involves investing in foreign companies, so investing in non-U.S. companies, should we be doing it? I'm taking the bull case. You're taking the bear case. I'll get started with the good news. The good news is that you get outside the U.S., there are so many more opportunities, I believe. There are a lot of, there are a lot of overlooked opportunities. There's going to be stuff that you can't find here in the U.S., uh, largely in terms of valuations, in terms of finding good companies that have been overlooked. The U.S. has got to be one of the most picked over stock markets. It's one of the, the biggest markets, one of the deepest and widest. It's got to be the most, right? Yeah, picked over or, or largest. Picked Probably over. both. Yeah, but picked over. It's going to be hard. I mean, they're, they're, don't get me wrong. There are opportunities here in the U.S., and when you look down to microcap and smaller stocks, those are some that institutions can't go after as aggressively. Right. But when you go overseas, particularly when you go to emerging markets, when you go to countries, when you're looking at countries where not every, not every investor is looking, you're going to find opportunities that, no, that nobody else is really going after. True. And I'm going to frame my bear case for this. in terms. Of, I'm not saying no one can go abroad and find opportunities, but for kind of the foolish individual investor, I don't know if it's the right process. For me, let's say for me, for my process, 
going yeah. abroad, you don't have the same kind of corporate governance rules in terms of the SEC and all the filings, um, the same trust in management, the same transparency in management. So, well, I'm, gonna, I'm actually going to stop you right there because one of the one of the other bull case things that I that I thought of is that reading the annual reports from some companies based outside of the U.S. I get a sense that there's there's more of a sense of being candid, management being candid, than there is here in the U.S. Now, the, the regulations are great, the SEC is great, all of that protects investors, but at the same time, all of the, the legalness around it creates a sense that a lot of companies just want to toe the line and, and say and get everything, everything that they're going to say has to be checked by their lawyers. Whereas in other countries, maybe you don't have all of the protections, and, and that's not ideal, mm-hmm. but... I, I think you have more uh, more leeway for management to come out and say, hey, you're the owners of our company. You're the owners of the company that we're running. We're going to actually tell you what's going on here. How often does that actually happen, though? Well, I mean, that's what you're looking for. It just just like here in the U.S., you're, you're not just saying, well, I'm going to take whatever I can, whatever comes to me. You go out and you look for it. But but I think there's, I think to some extent, there's, there's more opportunity to find that I- abroad. And to the extent that you're not finding that more abroad than you are at home, I, I think you can. Um, you can at least find it. And maybe you can find those companies at better valuations than you'd find them here. Well, the here's US. something that you've said before, is that you have some different... Oh, you're going to trot out my own words. You have some different investment strategies and where you've been successful. And you said you've been most successful when you stick with what you know and the companies and the industries that you really know well. Mm-hmm. And you've tried to venture off and, and do some other things mm-hmm. and say, well, well, this makes sense. I don't totally understand the business, but the story's there, and I think the valuation looks good. Sure, sure. Going abroad, you could stick within your industry. There is a little bit of a, of a difference there when it comes to, to accounting standards and kind of just where the business is going. But even if you go outside of your comfort zone and you're going international... Well, why would you do that? I mean, exactly. I mean, that's, that's the thing. No, no, but what I'm saying is that don't go outside your comfort zone in, t- in terms of the kinds of businesses that, sh- that you understand. There are going to be some cultural differences. There are going to be some regulatory and accounting differences. Those you, you can probably, to some extent, grasp a lot of those pretty easily. But, but a lot of it is about how the business operates. And, and I think a lot of that translates very well from country to country. There are certain things, I mean, maybe, maybe Barbie doesn't sell as well in one country as opposed to another because of some certain thing. But in general, a consumer-branded business mm-hmm. is going is to operate in a similar way, is going to have the similar, similar dynamics. Same as a bank. I mean, the, the basic dynamics of how a bank works uh, holds throughout the, th- throughout the world. Okay. You may have got me on this one. <laughs> you, can, you can declare victory on this. I think, you're, I think you're probably right. Well, there we go. On that note, we're going to go to our interview today. It's Interview Friday. We've got a, a great little piece here that I did with uh, Billy Kipperstock. For those who have been watching the show for a while, we did the inaugural TMF stock draft way back in August mm-hmm. of last year. Billy's one of the participants, so I figured we'd sit down with him and get his recent thoughts on some of the stocks he picked. Sounds good. So let's cut away to that now. Hey, I'm here today with Billy Kipperstock, analyst on Motley Fool Options and Motley Fool Pro. Billy, thanks for coming to join us. You thanks were for having w- me. You were with us back in August for the inaugural Where the Money Is stock draft. Yep. So we're looking back. Uh, we've got a few months on that now. We've got a few months to see how these companies performed, how the stocks performed. So far, so good for a couple of your picks. In particular, American Tower. What's going on there that's led to this, uh, this outperformance so far? 
Um, well, I think you have to kind of look at where you know American Tower was and where the market was at the time of the uh, uh, pick itself. Um, at that point, American Tower had kind of been underperforming the market for the previous maybe you know six months or so. Um, it had been kind of depressed because it's associated with the REIT sector, um, and mm. so there was the specter of uh, rising interest rates, right, and that had right. kind of depressed you know all of the valuations in the REIT sector. Um, but since then, you know American Tower has uh, reported. Uh, business results, earnings uh, for a couple of quarters, and you can see that the business is performing just fine. Um, growth rates are uh, healthy in the mid to high teens, uh, and the business is performing pretty well, um, and you're seeing returns uh, on capital increase for that business. So I think it's a combination of kind of a low starting point and then also the business performing well since that point. That was, now that you mention it, that was a good time to get in. But what's kind of interesting about that is that American Tower is a REIT, but it's got one of the lowest, if not maybe the lowest uh, dividend of, of the REITs out there. So it's interesting that it would have been hit so hard with yeah. all the other REITs at that time. Yep, so, absolutely. Smart move by you. Thank on you. the <laughs> on the other end of the spectrum, surprisingly enough, your worst pick and one of the worst picks in the portfolio right now is Berkshire Hathaway. That seems so strange. What's going on? Yeah, um, yeah I don't know. I mean, Berkshire Hathaway, it's such a huge business. I think there's concerns as far as um, is it going to be able to keep up its historic growth rates? Is it going to be able to grow its uh, book value per share at the same rates that it has in the past? Um, and I think investors are concerned about that. And as a result, uh, you're seeing the price-to-book uh, ratio, which is a key valuation metric that you want to use for Berkshire Hathaway, is lower than its historic average. Um, so as the market has kind of risen a little bit, Berkshire Hathaway has stayed flat. Um, and I, you know, that's a pick that you're going to have to wait for the business results to come in for the stock price to react. Um, sure. It's not really going to be volatile as far as the stock price is concerned. So. so looking at some lackluster performance versus the market over the, the few months since we had the, had the draft, good time to, to be a buyer of Berkshire right now? Yeah, I think so. Um, let's see, we got book value or price to book at about 1.3 times, whereas historically it's been about 1.5 to 1.6. Um, so you're getting it at a little bit of a discount uh, to its historical uh, valuation metrics, so might be a good time now to consider. Cool. All right, so thinking about the other picks that you have in the, the stock draft portfolio, what other ones do you want to do you want to tell me about right now, either because you love what they're doing or because you hate what they're doing? Yeah, I think um, two of them that I went with during the stock draft are MasterCard and eBay. Um, eBay was a little bit kind of an out there pick, but I was going for the PayPal angle, sure, which is yeah. Uh, kind smart, of a, smart pick, I thought. Right. So the the e payments trend that we're seeing, you know, across the world, really, where uh, transactions are, you know, transitioning away from cash and towards uh, electronic forms of payment, you know, credit cards and et cetera. So and Mastercoin, Bitcoin too. <laughs> yep. For some people. Um, so I think that you know eBay and Mastercard are two that you know I'm interested in as far as the e payments are concerned, and I think there's a huge market opportunity for that um, across the world, and I think we could see. You know, growth rates for both of those businesses continue at pretty healthy clips um, for quite a long time. So it sounds like you're still plenty bullish on eBay and the PayPal business. I think so, yeah. All mm -hmm. right, great. Thanks for joining me, Billy. Yep, absolutely. Pleasure to be here. Thank you. Thanks. It was great to hear from, from Billy and get some of those recent thoughts on the TMF stock draft, which, by the way, Billy and Brendan are kicking I don't want to talk butts. about it. I know, I, know you, I know you don't. All right, let's finish off today on the Twitter sphere. David, what's our first tweet? First tweet is from... I think it's from Paul LaMonica. And he says, wow, Carl Icahn just, just wrote another letter to eBay. Seriously, I wish I had that much free time and money. 
So this is a back and forth. I'm not, wait, wait, I'm not going to throw Paul Monica under the bus because I really like Paul and I, I think he's a very clever guy, but he is on Twitter <laughs> so much. It's kind of funny to hear him say, I wish I had that much free time to write a letter. That's true. Uh, this has got to be the fourth letter between back and forth. So Icon wrote his letter, then eBay said, no, you don't know what you're talking about. And now he's come out and said, well, you guys don't know Who what you're talking about. Who said the art of writing letters is dead? So you I got guess the modern-day pen pals. Icon challenged eBay to go on CNBC and have a duel, <laughs> kind of like part two with his Ackman thing. And they said, eh, no. And now he wrote a letter calling them out, saying that they're cowards, essentially, and that they, they won't come on, on TV, which is the... the right thing to do in America. I, I think Icon gets good things done. I, I think he's had a really good track record in recent years. I agreed with what he was trying to do at Apple. I wish that Apple had, had, had done even more th- th- than what they did and more than, uh, toward what he was asking for. I think he, he's right about spinning off PayPal. And uh, over at Chesapeake Energy to, to help oust Aubrey McClendon. I think he, so I think he gets good things done. It's... Easy to not like him at times, though. It sounded like a like an angry internet comment. <laughs> like that's what the letter sounded like. But I, I mean, maybe that's his tactic. Maybe he's smart about it in saying if I write this letter that's a little over the top, or maybe people, he's maybe people he's like us will talk and, about and it. Maybe it's just an angry curmudgeon. It's it's probably both. All right, tweet number two. This is from Todd Sullivan. Uh, AER price rise means AIG's sale of ILFC to them is now worth 1.9 billion more than the $5.4 billion announced. That's a nice little boost. So this is AirCap, uh, who AIG has a lot of acronyms in there. Yeah. Woo. Uh, nice, little, nice little thing here. So AIG held on to a, a large portion of mm-hmm. the actual business here, but AirCap now owns the whole thing. Pleased? Not, you didn't talk about you didn't talk I'm about ILFC. Unpleased. You didn't talk about ILFC yesterday when you were pitching AIG. But. I, I didn't because AIG has sold it off. It's it's non-core. I probably should have brought it up at least in passing. But uh, I, I think it was a good move for AIG to get rid of, for lack of a better way to put that, to get rid of ILFC because it's wasn't really core to the business. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, still benefiting good. though. Still benefiting for now. Third tweet. Third tweet. This is from Crowd Turtle. He says, be okay with others making lots of money in ways you would never entertain. This is just like what we talked about in our heated bull versus bear. <laughs> Sticking in, within your, uh, your circle of competence here. And if someone's making a ton of money, some people made a ton of money buying and trading bitcoins. But if that's not something you can do, well, be okay well, with that. Well, here's, here's, here's a better example. Between the fall of last year and right now, people have made an enormous amount of money Owning Fannie Mae common stock, yeah, and and over that time period, we we've continued to say I've continued to say I would not own it. Does it bother me that that uh, the folks owning it have made a lot of money? It doesn't. Uh, just because I I couldn't get comfortable with that investment opportunity, I don't begrudge them making that money. That's that's a, a tough call to make to get in to get in there given what's going on there and hold on to it. Now, we got to be careful getting into the process versus outcome thing. Because Fannie Mae's stock has gone up as much as it has, was that the right call at the time back then? I don't know. Mm-hmm. But the outcome has certainly been favorable. And I, Good example. I don't, I don't begrudge anybody that's made money on that. You're okay. I'm okay. All right. Fourth tweet. Fourth tweet. Twenty-two year, This is from PGA Tour. 22 years ago, Tiger made his first PGA Tour start 
Here are 22 photos from then and now. I hope we're not trying to show all. No, we're not photos. 20. Okay. Photos. Uh, God, that makes me feel old. What is the one? Are you a golf fan? First of all, no, I'm not a golf fan. I'm not. You're a, not a golf fan, but I'm not a golf fan or a Tiger golfer. Woods. Can you tell me the one moment you think of when you hear the name Tiger Woods? The one moment. Anything he's done. First thing that pops to mind. Smashing his golf club against things. <laughs> getting really, you getting go. really angry. That's the. That's the. I, I mean, ma- mainly my exposure to him and to golf is anything that comes up in like Us Weekly or exactly. something. Yes. <laughs> what about you? Do, what, what did I miss? That's a real golf moment. Got to go with the hole number seventeen at the Masters when he chipped in. You don't watch. Golf. <laughs> well, okay. You don't watch. Golf. Our, I'll our take, listeners, I'll watch take, golf. Your, I'll take your word. for our it. Our listeners should tell us what their favorite Tiger Woods moment is, <laughs> okay. for, good or, for better or worse. Okay. There's some bad ones out there. Do we have a fifth tweet? Fifth tweet. Finishing off. Let's do it. Our first fifth tweet is from. I don't know who it's from. We don't have a fifth tweet. We scrapped the fifth tweet. Oh. Well, give, give me give me a tweet. Come up with something. Uh, what are you doing this weekend? Nothing. Nothing. You're going to go play golf. You're going to yeah. go play well, golf on the cold. frozen tundra. It's too cold. What are you it's doing? It's like five degrees outside. You're running 100 miles? No. Uh, I'm only running, what am I running? 50. Just 50. <laughs> week. <laughs> All right. Well, that's our show for the week. Uh, I'm Matt Copenheffer. This is David Hansen. You can find us on Twitter at TMF Financials. You can also find us on Facebook, Motley Fool Financial Services. That's our show. We'll see you next week. People on the show may have interest in the stocks they talk about and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. Don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear.